So question. <laughs> do do I have to like say my name or anything like that? No, you don't have to okay, say right, anything right. like that. It's, okay. it's on the screen. Oh, perfect. <laughs> See the magic behind I'm typically behind the camera, not in front of it, so right. you know, a, a little different having to get used to it all, but <laughs> my my journalism, I guess, lineage up to this point, you know, has been one that's had, I think, a lot of turns and a lot of ups and downs and really, you know, trying to find who I am, you know, personally mm -hmm. through storytelling and through being part of my community. Yeah. I grew up in a little town called Fairmont City outside of St. Louis, um, about 2,500 people, mostly Hispanic immigrants. The way I got introduced to journalism was a reporter at, from the Washington Bureau at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch at the time, where local newspapers had enough money that they could have people <laughs> covering Washington. Um, the good old days. Right. I was born in, in the wrong era. But um, they came and did a story about immigrants that had come to the Midwest and you know why those migration patterns were important and the sense of community you know, that they've built in the Midwest and, you know, not in these big urban areas like Chicago and LA. Mm -hmm. And when you think stereotypically like, oh, there's a lot of Hispanic people in, in these big cities. It's mm -hmm. like St. Louis, I would say is more of a medium sized city. So we had a reporter follow me and my family around for about a month or two. And we had a photographer, you know, follow us around too and document our life day to day. And wow. that was a really, I think, impactful experience. How old were you again? I was maybe in first grade. I must have not been, what, is that like eight, nine, I, maybe? Yeah, yeah, your ballpark. S some, like, somewhere. Like, like six, seven. Yeah, great yeah. grade school age. And, you know, from that point, that just like left a really long lasting impression. I think at the end of everything, holding a print product and seeing that's my family. These are the words that my family said and being mm. able to like really document that and like be able to like tell that story so intimately that just left a long lasting impression. And the reporter at the time told my mom, Hey, you know, anything that he does, make sure he doesn't go into journalism. <laughs> <laughs> of course I went completely the direction they said not to go in, you know, uh, I've been a little defiant ever since. <laughs> oh my gosh. So when, when did you first put like pen to paper? Yeah. So I started off in like middle school, like experimenting with photography. Mm -hmm. um, I begged my parents to let me borrow 200 bucks uh, to buy my first like point and shoot camera mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, on like a Black Friday sale or something. And they're like, why? And you know, there was that interaction with the journalists, the two journalists um, growing up. But my mom has boxes and boxes and boxes of snapshots from when she was a teenager, uh -huh. when her and my dad were young, and I would flip through those, and she had all these old cameras, and I thought it was so cool, yeah. but I didn't want to go and spend money on the film, spend money mm -hmm. to get developed, and all that. So, you know, I started off by entering my middle school photography contest, and I took a not-so-great picture of, like, a cat or something on the street. Like, uh -huh. it was not good at all by any means <laughs> i thought it would be better if i made it all black and white and like some toy in the cat's mouth i made in color it was hot pink so i'm like this is it this is you know the the picasso of of today <laughs> I, no it wasn't um i got third place i'm like hey i i could be good at this <laughs> there, there was a learning curve there you know um 
so from there, really started delving into doing portraits and going in and just taking snapshots of my family and friends. And then someone asked me to photograph their wedding and I had no clue what I was doing. I was watching YouTube videos left and right, trying mm -hmm. to figure out how do I take wedding pictures? <laughs> I have this one kit lens and that's it. Yeah. So it was like, okay, just gotta be confident about what you're doing, even if you don't know what you're doing. And I keep that to this day. Yeah. You know, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but you just gotta <laughs> fake it till you make it, as they say. So uh, and that's uh the intro, because I think we're gonna fake it till we make it through this whole conversation, episode 87 of the WTF Carbonell podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and we tie it all back together to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois, and somebody who has called Carbondale, Illinois home for just long enough to really make an impact. Brian Munoz. Thanks I just, for having God, me. dude, I still... I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done, dude. Like, I just this complex about mispronouncing your name for Oh, years, my gosh. And then I jump right into... It's been close enough. And, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll let, it, let it slide. You know, you've been asking me to, to sit down with you and, and have this chat for a while now, so... I owe it to you. No, 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 <laughs> so, no, no, no. I like it's it's just it's been it's been a cool ride thus far. And I mean it's like the the just the things that you've been able to do from this space, right? And it's to to hear the 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 uh, you know description of of your childhood and that like small close knit communities are a thing that have always been like near and dear to you. So like it's it's just like always being home when you're in this place. Right. So this is my fourth year in Carbondale. I, you know, looking back and kind of, you know, my adult life mm -hmm. so far. Um, Your face has aged in these long four years, my friend. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've plucked a few gray hairs out oh, no. th through the years. Um, <laughs> no, but, you know, I started off, you know, after high school, going and trying to figure out what I'm doing for for college, started off as a business major because I was doing portraits, lasted two days in a marketing class and I was like, nope, this was a mistake. I don't want to do this. So then switched to music ed because, you know, I feel like I have these kind of key things that make up who I am. And one of the big ones is music. Mm -hmm. I played classical trombone and low brass since I was 10, mm -hmm. you know, so I wanted to go into music education because that was one thing that I was always involved in, you know, was music ever mm -hmm. since I was little. Um, did that, found out I was not a great singer. Um, <laughs> and apparently, you know, in music school, you have to be able to sing scales and be able to understand like the concepts of music theory and mm -hmm. all these things that there are some people out there that are incredible at I was not, but I had come a long way from taking cat pictures and, you know, <laughs> figured I can do something. So I went yeah. to another university, a little closer to home for two years. It felt too much like high school, yeah. started looking around like some other people, you know, that you've had on this podcast, um, <laughs> you know, and trying to figure out where do I want to go. Yeah. Uh, looked at uh, Mizzou, loved the campus, loved the program. But even though I could see the arch for my house, it was $40,000 and I'm yeah. like, I can't afford that, Yeah, you know? So shopped around and found SIU Carbondale and I'm like, oh, there's, a, there's an SIU school down there? Where is Carbondale? Yeah. There's like corn <laughs> there? Like, I, I don't know. Coming from St. Louis, a little more urban of an area, yeah. you know, comparatively. Um, but it was like, I'll give it a shot. Uh, saw the work that the journalism students were doing 
down here mm -hmm. and just the community storytelling and the impact that they were making. And I'm like, I want to be part of that. And SIU was like, hey, you know, we'll give you money and right. scholarships. You know, you, you've had this breadth of experience. You know, by this point, I was I took a semester off of school mm -hmm. because I was in this music ed program for a year and a half. And after that, I was like, I just don't feel like I'm going the right direction. I took a semester yeah. off, uh, started up a little online newspaper in Collinsville. Really? Yeah. Did that for about six, seven months. Uh, you know, at the end of it, hosted a public debate for the people running for mayor. Um, <laughs> did this, this big thing. And I was like, I need to get my degree. I can't just like ride the wave. Yeah. I, I need to sit down and focus on this kind of, for me and for my parents, it was this key component of coming to the US is, you know, we want to be here so you have a better future than what we had. Mm -hmm. And part of that was going to school and getting a degree. So after that, I'm like, I'm gonna hunker down. I'm gonna do it, do the thing. Uh, came down here, did not know a soul. Um, when I first toured campus, I actually took a Kate flight down. And by the time that plane had touched down in, in Marion, I'm like, nope, I, I, I don't know if I can go back on that plane. <laughs> like, you know, um, but I, I fell in love with the campus, you know, and the people here. And, you know, it's a place I've called home for the past four years. Yeah. So. So was it like you just jumped right into the Daily Egyptian, like just. Yeah. I'm there. Like. I'm right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And there were like people that I had been put in touch with mentors in St. Louis in the media industry. Mm -hmm. They're like, you need to go to Carbondale. You need to talk to these people, do these things. And I'm like, okay, I did it. And I got to Carbondale pretty like shortly before actually having to start doing things with the daily Egyptian. I think I got here like two days before the eclipse mm -hmm. and you know, I knew I was coming down here. I knew I was going to be the director of photography mm -hmm. at the daily Egyptian had done all these like zoom calls with, people around the country doing summer internships and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we're like, how do we execute this thing where we, there's gonna be thousands of people. Yeah. And I didn't know left from right in Carbondale. I didn't realize how many one ways there were, you know, <laughs> you see all these people uh, running into buildings and different things as of late. I was probably one of those people just about when I first yeah. got here. Um, I'm so glad driving made it into this podcast. Thank you, Brian. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> got, got to tie it, tie it in. Yeah. Right. Um, Stay relevant to the immediate conversation. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. And eclipse happened and that was a whirlwind yeah. that I'm, I hope to be back in Carbondale for the next one yeah. and take the things I learned from there. Like, you know, expect the unexpected like clouds over Saluki stadium when you yeah. and you know, you're next to the New York times Reuters and the weather channel, you're all waiting for this one thing mm -hmm. and a cloud just comes leisurely over and I'm like, okay, expect the unexpected. Yeah. That, that's a good lesson. I think I can take away from Carbondale because you just never know what you're going to get. You know, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about until you said weather channel right then and there that part of the draw to Allen media being the next purchaser of WSIL TV, that it's the same company that owns the weather channel and like what better to do than a biotelevision in the DMA television station in the DMA where a, the next major meteorological event is occurring. And I don't know if meteorological meteorological is the best word or the correct word to describe it, but you get where I'm going with this. So, right. <laughs> so you, so you like you touch down and you're immediately like thrust into this massive event to like, document something that you don't even have like 
your head wrapped around yet. Right. And it's, oh, you have this team of people that are asking you, where do I go? What do I do? Yeah. And I haven't even met them in person yet. So <laughs> luckily, you know, uh, the, the people at the paper at the time, you know, were super helpful and they had been in Carbondale a year or two or three, yeah. four before. And they're like, okay, let's, you know, sit down and figure out what it is we're doing because this, we can't mess it up. You know, yeah, yeah, there is no ball to drop here. Right, right. They, this happens once during our time, most of our time in Carbondale. Yeah. So, yeah, so we did that and, you know, it kind of went from there. I, started, you know, photographing and doing the, like assigning, you know, things to company stories in terms of photography. Mm -hmm. And that was when I really learned how like integral the Daily Egyptian was with the community mm -hmm. for better or for worse and whether people <laughs> like it or not. I know some other folks on the podcast had mentioned some people's disdain for the Daily Egyptian and <laughs> I wasn't even a student yet. Right. I had was down here touring and I had gotten a minor, was looking to get a minor in Spanish and my advisor at the time goes, I had just had a camera with me. I didn't have, like I wasn't officially yeah. working for the Daily Egyptian or anything. He goes, are you one of those Daily Egyptian kids? And I'm like, no, why? He goes, well, they just come here and try to mess things up, trying to mess up good things that happen at, in Carbondale. And at Is your SIU. advisor Jay? No. Is that all? Okay, Aiden, sorry. That's good. It's just like, that sounded like a very specific person. Yeah, no. Like, this person is not at the university anymore uh, for, for reasons that they know. But, um, and at that point, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. And start looking at the archives and starting looking at the hard hitting reporting that they were doing through the past several years. And, you know, I just knew how to take pictures. Yeah. And there was something like, really insignificant that I wanted like a list of student emails or something because I wanted to like send people like an invitation for a club I wanted to start or something yeah. like that. And they're like, we can't give that to you. That's FERPA, you know, this or that. And then I had a professor <laughs> tell me, why don't you file a freedom of information act? Uh -huh. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, here you go. Let me give you something. And it was like yeah. a, a manual about like investigative journalism and stuff. And I'm like flipping through this. I'm like, I can do this. So since then, I probably filed a little over 200, 300 FOIAs, you wow. know, during my time at SIU, mm -hmm. um, looking at different things, trying to, you know, look at stories. And there's always a story in like the most boring places, mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, a document or an email or a text message or something. And, you know, I, I keep those boring things in, the, in my back pocket because yeah. you just never know what you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, what, what's it like feeling like you're, you're, I mean, not feeling like, but your job actually being to take on all of this information and essentially be the cheesecloth that is the filter to, you know, stringing out the water and leaving over, you know, curds of knowledge on right. the other side that are like, this is what people need to know about what's going on here. Right. And it, it's really difficult um, because there's some things that, you know, just are over my head. Yeah. You know, I didn't know the ins and outs of title nine in athletics and, you know, the ins and outs of university governance and, you know, the stipulations on, you know, what you can and can't do through, you know, state of Illinois law and mm -hmm. these things where as journalists, I think we're really lucky. We get exposed to a lot of this and you're know, trying to distill that down. It's mm -hmm. talking to experts, you know, in those fields and saying, I need you to dumb this down for me. Yeah. Talk to me like I'm in first grade yeah. because that's how simple, like we, we need to make it. Yeah. And not because people can't understand complex issues, but 
you want it to be easily digestible mm -hmm. while still not oversimplifying an issue. Yeah. Um, but it's, I don't know. I think, you know, the first story that we had picked up, you know, from a major newspaper, I think it was like the Tribune or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, dang, we, we did a thing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, this, this is making an impact. Um, and that impact, and not necessarily it's always like a bad thing. It's just mm -hmm. reporting on, on something like the sign shaker in front of Little Caesars in mm -hmm. Carbondale. And, oh, you know, there's a city ordinance that doesn't allow sign shakers because it distracts drivers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just bringing awareness to that. And people ended up helping this guy out and helping him transfer stores and stuff. Those little things that, like, impact your direct neighbors, people that, like, you live with. Mm -hmm. That's one of the big reasons why I do journalism yeah. and why I'm such a proponent of community journalism and investment into you know, those things that keep folks accountable, but, you know, also highlight the good that's going on in your community. A lot of times people you cling exactly to the, cling to the negative my mind right now. <laughs> and they're like, why do you only report negative news? Yeah. I mean, we, we reported some things at the Daily Egyptian where we got like death threats and we got yeah. threats that we were, the reason SIU was dying and yeah. all this stuff, you know, not, you know, the turmoil that was going on in the legislature or you know, the exponential rise in cost of college education in mm -hmm. America or any, anything of that. It, it was a student newspaper that, that was the demise, demise of SIU, which I think yeah. is a whole ton of baloney. I think SIU is great and Carbondale is great. And I mean, you know, very like I do the, that. The, the ebb and flow, the up and down, man. And here's the deal. The, people, what, what people understand is it's not the, it's not the discussion of the issues at hand that lead to problems down the road. It's the fact that anybody was participating in those issues at hand to begin with and a failure to document and distribute and then digest the reality of those actions within any group of people is what allows us to then make corrective changes right and it's you have to learn from your history yeah. to make a better future and that's one thing i try to tell folks when i talk to them about carbondale or people talk about you know the things that happen here oh this is going on in carbondale but it's not going on here yada 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 crime uh illegal things you know mischief <laughs> whatever the case yeah. may be um and, you know, that stuff happens everywhere. It's just whether or not your community has a good, you know, press corps yeah. or good media infrastructure that, you know, was willing to spend the time and the resources looking into those things and, you know, keeping folks, keeping folks accountable. Yeah. You know, they call media the fourth estate, you know, the fourth branch, <laughs> uh, you know, it, yeah. it's a checks and balances. On the, on the media, how's, what's, what's, you know, they... The what you know the 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 founding fathers thought that uh, <laughs> you know the, right. the media would be the watchdog uh, you know of in, in theory, uh, <laughs> but but who watches the watchdog? Woof on the media does. I, I just butchered their, their right. intro line, but that's like exactly what what have in mind. So we'll we'll get to your we'll get to your jumped in PR here shortly, but we're still go, trudging through the, yeah. the entirety of that. So so was was the eclipse like your first like elbow rubbing with like the big news guys and like some of those relationships led into working with Reuters and USA Today at later points or did those relationships like spring up completely separate of, of that initial right. interaction? So the clips, like I don't think I had much interaction with the national folks, whether that's Reuters or the New York times or NPR mm -hmm. or whatever. I knew I was in contact with the folks at the St. Louis post dispatch 
they had done the story in my family. I mm -hmm. was really interested in photography and visual storytelling. So I had connected with those folks. But really, you know, from that point, you know, from the eclipse, you know, started digging into university athletics and the things that were going on at the time, mm -hmm. a Title IX investigation, uh, which led to the men's and women's tennis teams being cut and mm -hmm. the women's soccer team to being added and the politics behind that. Mm -hmm. um, to at the time, you know, finding out that the athletics department was, you know, multiple million of dollars in the hole, mm -hmm. not to anyone's fault who was necessarily there at the time, but through just years of people not doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, so did that. And then the next fall, I took really the semester a little bit back from the Daily Egyptian. Um, the big things that I did for them at that point was a follow-up. We had three African-American cheerleaders that knelt during the mm -hmm. national anthem, mm -hmm. you know, right at the start, the latest start of the social justice movement mm -hmm. in, you know, across the country. And we had a really good friend and colleague of mine now uh, down at Kennesaw State. They had the same day they had five African-American cheerleaders kneel. And basically we were covering our stories side by side yeah. and we were talking like every week on what's the latest thing that happened with you guys. Mm -hmm. This is what's going on here. Like what, how can we kind of play off of each other? Like what, what are things we're not thinking about? And that was one of the great things about, I think student media, you know, overall was the fact that people are so willing to collaborate and mm -hmm. are so willing to, you know, work across state lines, work across, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes countries to kind of lift each other up because everyone's in the same boat. We're trying to figure it out. And I will give, you know, folks that have kind of feelings about student media one way or another, we make mistakes. Like everybody makes mistakes. Right. At every job. Right. So for me, I'd rather make a mistake on, you know, a city council story or something yeah. that in the grand scheme of things maybe isn't as like important as oh, I'm sitting down with the president or the vice president and I'm interviewing them and, oh, I just butchered a quote that they said and they have it on tape that, yeah. you know, you're <laughs> learning your foundation in these experiential spaces um, while doing what you need to do in the classroom. Yeah. But, you know, same thing you've mentioned before in, in other episodes, that experiential learning is really what led me to meet these people from national mm -hmm. organizations and be able to reach out and a lot of it is networking and not being afraid to go outside of your box mm -hmm. and talk to people and have conversations with people even if you don't know them if you, even if you're like somewhere that you're not you've never been before like mm -hmm. I did an internship in Arizona I was in Phoenix for three four months and I didn't know anybody there <laughs> so being a people person you know yeah. is a big aspect of it and I mean, you you take community with you wherever you go. I right. Mean, and, th and this is really cool, man. And I, and again, the part of the the exploratory part of of these conversations, where it's nice to have some context with somebody, but not know, you know, the the depth of 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 what I'm looking to find out about folks in these in these talks, and to listen to you just describe like the way that you reach out and just engage with people and how you can go from, you know, a, a, a barren social field to a, to a, you know, a, a blossoming social field, just because you're looking to recreate a sense of community, no matter where you are. And then you also have the tool sets with which right. to do that, which not everybody has the tool sets to develop that. And media just happens to be one of those things that you can use to develop community. 
Right, right. And that's, you know, despite any stories that, like, I've worked on in the past or, you know, things I've reported on at the end of the day, you know, I try not to take myself too seriously. I mean, yeah. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> like, there's a tie-in. Like, nice, like, nice. like, really, 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 you know. And, you know, I'm very privileged in you know, being able to go to college and having these experiences and being able to like have my own camera and yeah. all these things. And I know a lot of people aren't, you know, privileged in that way, you know, or have the background, you know, or the like the socioeconomic, you know, functions to mm -hmm. be able to do that. I mean, I saved so much money just like over years and years to be able to buy my own equipment. And yeah. that was one of the big reasons I came down to Carbondale was, oh, we have the tools for you to just focus on creating mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about all that because we, we have that for you yeah. and other places didn't have that. Um, really? Yeah. That's not just, they don't just furnish at every journalism school, right? The tools for journalism, right? The, the school I was at before who I won't name, um, <laughs> they, they didn't have like cameras for students and stuff. And it yeah. was like, how do I do this? How do I, yeah. You know, we, we don't have the, the resources for it. And Dang. that was a big barrier for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think growing up, I didn't grow up in a wealthy like family or anything like that. Um, so, you know, through those connections as well, you know, we've been able to, you know, I've been able to work with other organizations and, you know, trying to figure out ways, whether it's through grants or other things to help, you know, give students from those backgrounds, you know, camera equipment or be able to, you know, partner with Nikon directly or whatever the case may be and organizations out there doing that mm -hmm. to, hey, let's do this raffle for a camera because we know that it'll make an impact, mm -hmm. you know, on someone's life and community, just tying that into kind of that overarching thing, um, you know, just having my camera, I feel like I can document so much of like our community yeah. and show that it's not just soybeans and corn, you know? <laughs> I, I love, so I mean, your your parents always kind of understood the value of media in life. I mean, talking about having all of those pictures from when they were younger and like there's there's something in there, those memories that they went, yes, we, we do cherish this. We do value this. Right, right. Um, in part, you know, the, the reporter growing up, you said, don't do journalism. And <laughs> I mean, in Mexico, I mean, the media landscape is a little precarious mm -hmm. in terms of you know, the prosecution of journalists, mm -hmm. you know, there and in other countries, I mean, even like in America, like today you see, you know, journalists beat up, you know, mm -hmm. by certain demonstrators, you see journalists beat up by police, you see yeah. journalists beat up by, you know, all these other people. And we're like, we're just trying to do our jobs, you know, yeah. trying to document what's going on. But that was a big thing that my mom was fearful of is she's like, I don't want you to be beat up or you know, persecuted because of what you're doing. And mm -hmm. I'm like, luckily I'm not doing international work like that right now. Yeah. I'm just, you know, here trying to tell community stories and I have colleagues who, you know, are in those spaces and like power to them. Yeah. Like they, I, I could not do what, what they're doing. And it's really incredible. Um, there's somebody I know that's in Afghanistan right now documented mm -hmm you know, the rise of the Taliban right now through the region and everything that's going on. And like he, his name is Marcus Gam with the Los Angeles Times. Um, and he was documenting like a scene or something before. It was like um, Afghan 
nationals and like people from the Taliban and like there was an altercation and like this guy came up like to him and pistol whipped him on the side of the head yeah. and he's like please don't kill me and like it, it was this whole thing yeah. um but it, my mom sent me like they did a story on it and she sent it to me and she's like this is what I'm talking about and I'm like <laughs> I promise I'm like unfortunately you know that those kinds of things happen all over the world yeah. but I'm in Carbondale you know I I, I try to zoom in and really try to hyper focus on yeah. being cognizant of those things. And I've, I've worked in spaces where the, those things are more prevalent, you know, these international issues, these national issues. But for me, like my heart lies in this local community mm -hmm. storytelling. Um, but how it reflects on the national story, right. on the international story, on the global story, right? right. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like you can't find, you know, the exact morsels of humanity in the stories that you tell out of here that are applicable at, you know, macro and micro levels across the board. Right. And one of those examples I think of is uh, Anna, Illinois, having its mm -hmm. first racial demonstration, Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter demonstration mm -hmm. in a town that has its history. I mean, uh, Logan Jaff from ProPublica did a feature mm -hmm. on Anna, you know, that really ran in the Atlantic as well. Um, and for those who don't know, ProPublica is a nonprofit news organization that does investigative journalism across mm -hmm. the country. They have a Midwest bureau based in Chicago. Um, but she did this really in-depth story about, you know, people of color living in Anna and the history of Anna and, you know, the future of it and whatnot. So this was kind of picking up where she left off in this mm -hmm. event. And, you know, luckily through different workshops and really putting myself out there, a lot of cold calling, mm -hmm. a lot of cold emails on hey, I'm a journalism student, like I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I never expected the feedback that came in to come in. Mm -hmm. uh, people were so willing to just chat, spend five, 10 minutes on Zoom on like, hey, where are you at? What are you doing? This is what I'm looking for as a hiring manager. Um, you know, let's keep in touch in case something arises. Mm -hmm. And that's how I covered that event in Anna for Reuters and worked uh, with a reporter out of New York uh, who typically covers immigration, but she was covering the social justice movement mm -hmm. really kicking off. And um, there had been things up to that point. I mean, in Carbondale, the week after the week of George Floyd's death, you know, a black man who was killed by police in Minnesota, um, there was a huge candlelight vigil that mm -hmm. Chastity Mays uh, organized. And speaking with her, she mentioned, I never realized this many people would come out to this event and there yeah. were hundreds. And this was, you know, at the point where our community was trying to balance, we're in a global pandemic on something we know absolutely nothing about mm -hmm. at this point and people of color being killed. And we didn't know at that point, everything that we know now. So mm -hmm. there's like that grain of salt to take into consideration. Yeah. Um, but really, I, I pitched that to Reuters and they said, yeah, we, we want it. So I did a, a written piece with uh, Micah Rosenberg, uh, the reporter out of New York for mm -hmm. them. And I did the visuals for it. And it ran like in CNN and, you know, Fox Business and the Washington Post mm -hmm. and all these places. Little Southern Illinois was on that level. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of, you know, alluding to what you had mentioned is, those national stories are in our communities mm -hmm. and you have to think about how the United States is not a monolith, how rural communities aren't monoliths mm -hmm. either. You know, there are people of color that live in rural communities, 
you know, there are issues that happen in urban areas that happen in rural communities as well, mm -hmm. you know, and vice versa, you know, and it's really my goal as a journalist is to break down those kind of notions or those stereotypes or thoughts that people have um, in trying to enlighten people a little more or mm -hmm. show them that we're not what you think, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you ever think you'd be so intellectual about this stuff? Um, no, <laughs> I'm gonna be real honest. Like going, starting off in college, I'm like, I just want to like take family pictures, like see yeah. pictures. I just like, didn't want to like think about this and <laughs> really, and I think more so recently, it's been a lot of, and through like reporting I've done and like things I've looked into and like experience personally, you know, really looking at breaking down what these constructs of media are and sh like the perception of objectivity and has been a really big conversation in journalism because a lot of times the early days of journalism education, mm -hmm. it was taught you are a neutral slate. You should not have any opinion. Mm -hmm. You obviously in reporting are in bias and yeah. You know, I keep that still as one of my primary tenants is I have my personal like opinions and things, but my reporting, I'm, I'm going to present, you know, both sides of, of an argument if applicable. Yeah. Um, if valid, not like. If valid. I'm not, <laughs> You're not going to publish know, like a, 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 a all for one on why you could use ivermectin. No. <laughs> right. Like COVID, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to add a voice to a story yeah. that of someone saying COVID-19 does not exist. Yeah. Because part of a journalist, like journalist code of ethics is minimize harm. Yeah. You're not minimizing harm if you're sharing disinformation just mm -hmm. to show the other side. Yeah. You know, there's a, a great saying that goes, as a journalist, your job is to report what's going on. If you look outside and it's raining, you say it's raining. Mm -hmm. You don't go look for someone that says it's not raining, it's snowing, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I, I keep that. And sometimes that's hard for people to grasp a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think, you know, it plays in, again, with community because you go and you try to talk to your neighbors, yeah. you know, and be present and part of your community. The people I report on, the people I interview, I see at the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. I see at Walmart. I mm -hmm. see, you know, walking their dogs and there's a sense of trust that's built there mm -hmm. because, you know, my neighbor wouldn't lie to me like that. Like we're, we're in it together, you mm -hmm. know, and that's something that I, I really cherish. And I really think, you know, is critical to building trust in communities. Um, so I don't know. I got on. A tangent I know I mean, we do, we're just, we're just lucky to have this year, man. The reason why this place can be used as some sort of like standard of which you can compare lots of different levels of life and existence uh, is because we have an abundance of storytellers, right? Whereas most places around the country are, are you know, experiencing desertification of news activity, right? We are in abundance of it in one way, shape or form or the other. And the other component to this, right? Where there are these voids that are being replaced by, uh, you know, unethical sources, and, uh, you know, agendaed um, 
you know, platforms, that's not as much of an issue here. There have been, you know, I, I, I think of, I, you know, I, I do not, I do not like the fact that the kid that runs Williamson Franklin County news steals a lot of his content, right? I find an issue with that. Um, but that doesn't mean that that kid's not actually still out there doing some level of legitimate reporting, like in telling, you know, news and, and telling stories, not just out there for a, you know, a particular bend, in service of you know a, a, a greater master, and and that is right. something where that is occurring all over the country, all over the globe, where where there is a void in news and legitimate storytelling and and uh, you know just fact based information that the stuff that's filling it, much like our physical diets, is more like junk food than it is actual like you know, <laughs> comparative vegetables that would be right. real journalism. Right, and I think we're really lucky in Carbondale. I mean, between you know, the School of Journalism through the Daily Egyptian and River Region Union Edition and all mm -hmm. these different like student news organizations and then, you know, independent creators and, you know, storytellers, you know, whether that's me or yourself mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever the case may be. And a lot of like the local smaller papers, you know, mm -hmm. through each of the communities. But I think all in all there, we have to be also cognizant of, you know, that same thing happening in Southern Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I think we... We don't always see it um, in terms of not as many reporters, not as many, you know, things covered. Mm -hmm. Some people in their local paper, whether it's the Southern or somewhere else, may say, oh, why, why couldn't we, why couldn't this thing be covered? Or I was reporting, I don't remember who it was for. I was reporting down deep in Southern Illinois for a story, and I had some people that were pretty confrontational about mm -hmm. me being there and present and reporting. Mm -hmm. And I went and had a conversation with them. I put down my camera, put down my notebook. I'm like, let's, let's have a conversation because I want to understand why you're feeling what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, why is it that the news doesn't come in our community unless someone's killed or there's some tragedy? Mm -hmm. You know, the resources uh, aren't there. The resources aren't there. The amount of reporters, you know, the Southern Illinois Press Corps is only so many people. Yeah. There's, what, 18 to 20 counties in what I would consider Southern Illinois, mm -hmm. or at least, like, Southern so, Illinois minus the Metro so, East. Yeah, it's, I mean, 17, seven, so, like, the, the area covered by the community foundations are really good, like, benchmark for the 17 lower counties in Illinois right. really constitute Southern Illinois. Right. When you When you go further north, you see, you know different media organizations coverage shrink in ge geog mm -hmm. geographic area. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's that's one of the, the things that we we just have to be cognizant of. And mm -hmm. in my opinion, you know, you really need to support local news and you need to support the people that are doing that work in the region because mm -hmm. you won't always have them. And it's not until we don't have them that we start realizing that, oh, no one's covering the school board meeting. Mm -hmm. No one's covering the city hall meeting. How is our how are tax dollars being spent? Oh, someone just embezzled, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Like, how, I mean, how? and there's there's at least like three or four of those stories floating around Southern Illinois now of people that have in the past five years either been found out or gone to prison or something like that. Of, right. You know, in in excess of hundreds of thousands of dollars from small towns all over. Right, yeah. and those are your your neighbors, the people in your community, yeah. and you know that's one of the the really important things that I think about local news is they're the ones doing that work. So 
because other people aren't going to do it. People have, yeah. you know, their, their day jobs and things. And you think about, uh, you know, people with, with their own interest, one reason or another, mm -hmm. um, you know, that maybe Southern Illinois isn't seen as profitable as like a Chicago or something. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that the people here matter any less. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, one of the big reasons why, you know, I decided to stay after graduation mm -hmm. because I transferred as a junior. And after I had gone back home and I'm like, I don't know what I want to do and stuff. I'm like, I think there's stories to be told in Southern Illinois. I'm yeah. going to go back. I'm going to figure it out. I don't know what I'm doing, but if there's a time to try to figure it out, it's now, yeah. you know? So I did. And I mean, my colleagues that I worked with at the time, you know, at the Southern Illinois. And you deserved a job like, there, man. It's just a, such a shame. It's, it's such a shame. There, you know, <laughs> I wish there were resources available for yeah. more people to be able to cover the Southern Illinois community. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, are people still here that are doing important work. Yep. The folks at the Southern now are still busting their tails yep. to tell important stories and, they're, they're, they're doing the work and they're keeping folks accountable. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. Um, but I, I just think about all of my colleagues that I've worked with, you know, through the years in Southern Illinois who may not be working in news now or aren't, you know, in journalism mm -hmm. spaces in Southern Illinois or they've gone and worked somewhere else. Uh, and I'm just like, damn, we, we really did it. And, you know, we, we really made an impact and we really tried. Yeah. And that's. Well, and, and it's and it's continuing too. I mean, it's it's cool to see things like Cali picking up, you know, the the job at the Southern now. Right. right. Because that, that says that there is there is there is some sort of staying power in what was before you and then what you added on to it and then what you passed on down the line. Right. Like that just because your exit at this point doesn't mean that there is now a void. There are still people in there doing the work, grinding it out, like bringing the right. stories to light. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I I read some of the work and like, oh, I that's done now. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that. You yeah. know, the last, to provide some context, I think, you know, the last year I've been working with USA Today mm -hmm. and doing the national thing through a <laughs> fellowship program that they established and that I'm, was very blessed to be a part of, mm -hmm. um, but it was different. I mean, I really had, you know, through my life, these foundations and roots and community local mm -hmm. storytelling, and I had to kind of think outside the box a little bit in mm -hmm. amplifying those. Uh, now beat it up, man. It's, it's, it's an SM58. You can, you can smack it around a little. <laughs> um, amplifying those stories to, you know, national things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it was just such a whirlwind, but after, you know, doing that and I can get into that a little later, um, you know, we only got so much time. No, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, two hours for you, Brian, Moon. <laughs> two hours. um, after doing that, I mean, everything from Joe Biden's inauguration to, you know, capping off with the Tokyo Olympics mm -hmm. and being part of like our team doing that work, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a lot, it's nonstop. And, you know, one of the things that I missed was living next to the people that I was covering and, yeah. you know, the, a lot of other factors into play. You, mean you don't live next to Joe Biden. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I, I had a, a space next to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but. Is there, is, there a, is there a particular story that just like sticks out as like 
this is one of the ones that really, or like, do you just have a succession of stories that all have kind of equal weight in your mind, you know, for the work that you've done? Just overall, yeah. Just just oh, overall man. in the in the in the past several years, if there's anything that like really because I mean, dude, you you have you have you have put media in in so many different places and so many like pretty significant ways for coming out of this area. It's like it's it is difficult to just look at it and go. There's not just one thing out there. I would right. Imagine. The the Anna story, I mean, was a big one, and I mean that first candlelight vigil, you know, at Charlie Park. Mm-hmm was really the kickoff of a year's worth of coverage, Mm -hmm. um, you know, on the social justice movement in Southern Illinois. And really, you know, that caught like wildfire of people saying enough is enough and really trying to emphasize maybe it's not happening right now, right here Mm -hmm. in Southern Illinois. That's still important to be cognizant of these issues going on mm-hmm. on the broader scope. And I think you, I mean, in Carbondale, you've seen it, you've seen it as the activist community here has been super active since mm-hmm. Vietnam. I mean, that era from the war to now, and, you know, you look through just the different federal programs that have been in Carbondale, uh, you know, in terms of like racial and restorative justice mm-hmm. and different things along those lines. And, you just think of how much of, time, of a time capsule this community is. Mm-hmm. And that, that I mean, I, I spent basically a year of my life reporting on that, yeah. on those topics and the kind of branches that go off of them yeah. in Carbondale and Southern Illinois. So, I mean, that that's one of the big ones. Um, like core in a tree, man. You pull out a core sample, and you're going to have that one, that one little section that's going to have <laughs> you in the midst of it. Right. Um, <laughs> President, former President Donald Trump coming to Murfreesboro. Yeah. I mean, that's always a cool experience being able to cover a sitting president. You've covered, you've covered, okay, yeah, well, yeah, Joe Biden wasn't obviously a sitting president at the time. Yeah. So there's like, it's one, one two asterisk. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I, I covered uh, Donald Trump. And then on the flip side, uh, when Joe Biden was campaigning in St. Louis, mm-hmm. I covered that for the New York Times. And having my pictures in the New York Times and like being able to hold that page, it's like, yeah journalism goal accomplished you know just to say that i did it uh but yeah i mean in the grand scheme of things you know like those were big ones um it's really hard to pinpoint just one there's so many that are so i think powerful for different reasons um like one of the (laughs) covid related just kind of a sidebar Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of impact, we reported on Molly Parker and I reported mm-hmm. on uh, the Pulaski County Detention Center down in Pulaski County uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and how there were advocates and some detainees there through the Department of Homeland Security that were saying, we don't have the appropriate things to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. We don't have the appropriate resources and city folks and city officials saying, no, that's not true and back and forth. To the point that led to a congressional inquiry into what is going on mm-hmm. there and, you know, seeing, pushing the governor on it. The governor didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth got involved and they sent the, I, it was, I think, Chad Wolf or the acting inspector general for DHS. Mm-hmm. They sent one of those officials an email that said, what is going on? This mm-hmm. is what the Southern Illinoisan and what advocates are saying look into it yeah. and nothing happened for a while and 
And recently, the, I guess, Department of Homeland Security Inspector General came out with a report that said it was true. Mm-hmm. Everything that, you know, we reported, everything that was going on was true and found in fact. And they weren't being open about it. And the city or the county officials in Pulaski County are in a sticky situation because that ICE contract makes up so much of the county's budget to mm-hmm. operate in a county that, you know, aside from that, isn't very wealthy, you know, Depleting compared resources over time. to Northern Illinois. Right. Mm-hmm. So that happened. And then down the line, I mean, for better, or for worse, wherever you stand on the aisle on this, um, they shut down or the governor put forward legislation that would basically cut ties with any department of Homeland security slash ice contracts mm-hmm. with state affiliated, uh, detention facilities, mm-hmm. jails, et cetera. So, I think that one, just seeing the the quickness on this thing happened, mm-hmm. people are scared that they're going to get sick and die, talking to like detainees like there, and to the point that action was taken, and then like you kind of have the natural cycle, news cycle kind of die off on it, and then, oh, it's getting picked up again because this big action happened, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, was this partly because of our reporting? I don't know. But that was just one that like stood in my head or stands out in my head because of the congressional action that was taken so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the same accord with USA Today, <laughs> uh, I did a story in Vegas about um, this man named Kendrick, mm-hmm. uh, who is an army veteran and was um, honorably discharged after he got like shrapnel, like, in the shoulder and in Iraq and this whole thing. He uh, had grown up in California, was an athlete, but felt a duty to serve his country. Mm-hmm. And his father had served, his grandfather had served, and he's like, I, I want to do this. Yeah. So he did it and he got out and he's like, education is important. I want to support my family. He had been married or he had gotten married and they were having kids at that point. He's like, I, I need to do this. So he went and Googled, you know, universities trying to find out somewhere to go. And th- one came up and it was Argosy University. It was a, what he didn't understand at the time, a for-profit university, mm-hmm. but they had really good like marketing material yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. easy to apply. And he, excuse me, had inquired about it and just, you know, was like, sure, and they called him shortly after and said, well, let's get you signed up for classes. You know, classes are starting yeah. soon. You're going to miss out. All this happens. He gets in. The rigor of the classes aren't good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't feel good about it. He's not having his stipends that are coming back to him from the GI Bill mm-hmm. aren't showing up. Um, they get him to take out the max amount of loans, even though the GI Bill covers the majority, if not yeah. all of his college expenses. And... Three and a half years into his four-year college education, in the middle of like the semester, he gets an email that says, I'm sorry, from one of his professors, I'm sorry, we, I'm not your professor anymore. Argus University is shutting down. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. Didn't get his degree. Was in a boatload of debt. Yeah. Got evicted from his house, and his family was on the street. They couldn't even go to a shelter because they wanted to split up his wife and children and him, you know, they wanted him in a, in a men's shelter mm-hmm. and they wanted them in a woman's and family shelter. And they're like, you can't be together. So 
they did a GoFundMe, raised 500 bucks, and scrounged up enough to get on like a cheap motel, and they were living like on ramen and pizza. Um, we did this story looking at predato- predatory schools like mm-hmm. Argosy University, mm-hmm. and it ran front page, you'll see today, and Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, like Bernie Sanders, all these like high level, you know, officials within, you know, Congress shared the story mm-hmm. and said, this, like, this isn't okay. We need to do something about this. And now he's getting the assistance to try to recover from, mm-hmm. you know, all of this that happened a couple years ago. And he's still reeling from it and trying to rebuild his life. Um, so since then they moved to DC, mm-hmm. which was a little peculiar because they were living in Vegas, which was already kind of expensive, but <laughs> you're in this peculiar, yeah. uh, you know, financial situation. I wouldn't necessarily move to DC in terms yeah. of for affordability, but they're getting the help that they need mm-hmm. to do that. But again, that story had impact, you know, that directly went to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big things that I think a lot of journalists consider going into the industry is at the end of the day, we want to help a community, you know, whether that's get out of or shine light on an unfortunate situation, mm-hmm. or if it's highlighting something positive that happened, whatever the case may be, we just want to be able to make an impact mm-hmm. where we live. Uh, and story that, that story underpins the policy ultimately. Right. I mean, right. I, and I, I don't know, I mean, there's, there's been a handful of different student loan debt cancellation policy moves, right? And I, and I don't know if the for-profit school uh, issues were, were one of them or not, right? But it's, if that does happen, stories like that are the ones that feed into whether or not policymakers are going to make the end vote, yay or nay, right. on executing a program that's going to actually help people. Right. And that's... You know, because, I mean, that discussion and that debate, I mean, ultimately, like many things fall on the political spectrum of like, if, you know, you're more, you know, conservative or you're more on the Democratic side of things and whatnot. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people will paint, oh, well, you know, you're just trying to paint a story that, you know, is doesn't seem real. And it's like, this is an army veteran, mm-hmm. one of our armed service members that sacrificed their life you know, potentially to serve our country. This isn't a Democrat or Republican issue. This Mm -hmm. is a right and wrong. This is like people shouldn't be in these situations or should there shouldn't be these situations. So there's a big push. Um, Joe Biden has canceled a lot of student loan debt. I think uh, don't quote me on this for sure, but I mean, at least over like a couple millions of dollars from certain predatory colleges. Mm -hmm. I don't think Argosy has fallen under this scope yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll, we'll see where that carries (laughs) out in the future. I'm still in touch with them. I'm still in touch with a lot of the people that I like, I report on. Um, Even if it isn't necessarily like, you know, day to day, Oh, what's going on today or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, I spent part of my life with you and like spending time and like you, being vulnerable and like myself being vulnerable, like mm-hmm. in having these discussions and like looking at you as a human, not just as a soundbite. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I try to keep up with people and try to stay in touch no matter like whatever the case may be. So you're going to be doing sound bites. And when I say sound bites, I mean like actual audio work <laughs> when you go work for NPR out of St. Louis. Yeah. So <laughs> the bittersweet thing, uh, 
you know, well, don't cry on me now, Brian. No, no, no. no. I, I, I won't. I won't cry yet. I, I still have a lot of things I need to do before, <laughs> before next week. Um, but I, I took a job with uh, St. Louis Public Radio, which is NP, and the NPR affiliate that covers St. Louis and basically the Metro East, part of Southern Illinois, um, just kind of the the region. Mm-hmm. Um, recently so I'm, I'm excited i am going to be one of their staff well their only uh, staff photographer really yeah which is exciting nerve-wracking at the same time yeah. but i i think of it a lot of like the work that i did in southern illinois where i have opportunities to write and i have opportunities mm-hmm. to do audio storytelling and obviously photo um in somewhere that i've called home for a bit I've never lived in the city i've never like really been on the missouri side a ton i mean mm-hmm. i've gone to cardinals games and have done things in St. Louis, but never really like on the day to day. So that's going to be a little bit of a change. And of course, like, I don't know, I, I was tearing up the other day walking through Carbondale <laughs> and I'm like getting all of these memories flooding back. And it's like, Oh, I did this there. Or like, I don't know. It's like in the movies where you see like the faint silhouette of like the scene unfolding. Uh-huh. It's like, you're going down memory lane. And <laughs> I, I, I think that's, you know, one of the things that a lot of people, you know, one of the big reasons why a lot of people like come back like, to their college towns and like, mm-hmm. they come back to homecoming and stuff is because college and you know, those like, spaces are such formid- formative experiences mm-hmm. for people. And I mean, I wouldn't be the person I am today if like, I hadn't come down here. There's I mean, the line. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so real though, man. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just a wild... Well, I mean, and, and, and talking about this with all sorts of folks, yeah, there are college towns all over this country, all over the world that give all sorts of different experiences. But there is just a certain essence of this place that is set apart from many, many other places. Right. And, you know, a, a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people like to rag on Carbondale, but I feel like it's like your younger sibling. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can talk you know, crap about it, but you can't because this is mine. This is, this is my space that like I experience. Like if you haven't stepped foot into this space, I, I, I can describe it to yeah. you, but you really, I don't think can experience, you know, it to the fullest. Is your um, younger sibling going to come to SIU? Yes. So I have a sister that's a sophomore at SIU <laughs> and I convinced her to come here, uh, instead of, you know, some other bigger schools, some competitors, you know, mm-hmm. in the region. And I'm like, I promise you it'll be worth it. It may not seem like much at first, but really the relationships you build here, you know, whether through school or otherwise, I was in marching band and still do stuff with the marching band here at SIU. And like those people are some of my best friends. Like I'm about to be in one of their weddings in a couple weeks. And like, I don't know, we have this shared experience. And I think, you know, that's, that's really special. And it's something that can't be really replicated you know, to the same degree, um, you know, just anywhere. Is, is there any part to your life that is not just the work that you do or is like, I mean, is literally just that camera just as much every bit of leisure and personal time as it is every bit of professional and, and working time. Right. Um, so like I mentioned, like marching band and like documenting stuff, which I guess still is tied to the camera. But before that, like I played, you know, I played in the Wind Symphony at SIU. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, music is a really big aspect of my life. Um, 
my pandemic hobby was trying to learn how to be a better cook. So I could cook <laughs> more than just ramen and crappy chicken. Uh -huh. um, so it was a lot of, you know, reading people's life stories before getting to a recipe at the bottom <laughs> of the page. Um, I, I, I hear that's the, that's, the, that's the thing these days on the internet. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's like that, a lot of video games. <laughs> your, your stereotypical 20-year-old 20, 20 type things. Yeah. But really, you know, I, I really like to go out and experience, you know, what, what the community has to offer things. You know, I talk about food and food being a unifier, and I could go on another hour about that, but I won't. Right. Um, but like the Southern Illinois Eats page that William Lowe and his wife, you know, set up. Like, Episode like, 18 of the WTF Carbondale podcast. William Lowe, quick plug there. Go, go watch there, it. There's, there's, there's been like, there's been mentions of like several different people whose like number of their episodes I just didn't remember off the top of my head, like Chastity and, and yeah. uh, multiple other folks that you mentioned. Anywho, Southern Illinois Eats page, my bad. Food, yeah. Food is a unifier. Right. You could just have a related section and just list them. That's uh, what I need. <laughs> like, but... Yeah, food is a unifier. I mean, that Southern Illinois Eats page, one of the things I think after undergrad where I really was trying to figure out, like, who, like what am I doing? What am I doing in this space? Who am I? Very existential questions. Mm -hmm. I, you know, this food thing. And I'm like, I, I got out of Carbondale a little bit during undergrad, but I was just so focused and wrapped up, like, in this immediate community. Mm -hmm. I didn't really experience... Southern Illinois mm -hmm. as a whole. Mm -hmm. So at least once a week I try to go and like try somewhere new or try to go out into different communities, you know, whether that's Benton or, Oh, I beer and chicken on Wednesdays ah, um, ah, or yeah. whatever the case may be. I mean the, the food and the stuff that they're doing at keepers quarters, which mm -hmm. is incredible. And really just these folks that are really elevating the food scene. I mean, that took me out of Carbondale and I'm like, this is something that I think, you know, a lot of people can do and can get tied into mm -hmm. that, you know, isn't drama, isn't political, isn't, you know, any one of these number of things. And that, that's one of the things I really appreciate about that page, even though uh -huh. sometimes people give uh, unsolicited remarks. But <laughs> <laughs> be good to your people. They, there's a lot of us, I think, just in the scope of creators on social media mm -hmm. and things that, like, don't get paid to do what we do. Per se, yeah. Like a lot of the things I cover in the community, especially this last year, dude, you've like, just been like, I just do it, it out there. I just do it to do it, and yeah. like, I because I think it's important. Yeah, you know, and, and it's an outlet for me, um, in a sense. But yeah, the food, food is a big one. Um, and yeah, that's that's it, it, it. That's that's where that's where you really like. That's where you kind of test a journalist muster, like pursuing what you're pursuing, right? Is like, can they balance being an integral part of the community while also being an objective storyteller of the things going on? Right. right. Like, and there, there have been times where I've had, you know, tips from people that like I know and, you know, there are stories I've had to pass on because I'm like, I'm, I'm too close to the story. And yeah. like, it takes work to understand like where that line is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that's one thing that a lot of, you know, journalists or future journalists, you know, that are going through SIU and going through journalism programs across the country, you know, are really trying to, like, find where that line is on, you know, what the difference between objectivity in being a neutral blank slate, which is not true. Everyone has lived experiences. Everyone comes from different backgrounds. 
it is, in my opinion, absurd to deny those things, mm -hmm. but it's being able to keep them in check. Yeah. So being able to balance that in making journalism not my only like identity thing, I think is really <laughs> important too, which is the reason why I play a bunch of video games and I try to cook and I try to go to the farmer's market yeah. and go out into the local community and support the local community and those folks that are also trying to build up Southern Illinois or build up their respective communities. Because at the end of the day, like we all still live here. Yeah. Like even if some people think that, you know, we're, we're going after the region or whatever the case may be, we just want to see this, this region better than what, what it was when we started here. Yeah. Ah, that's it. We won't even touch too much more on the Hawaiian shirt because I think uh, we're all going to be a little bit better off than when we arrived here for episode 87 of the WTF Carbondale podcast. Have a good one, folks, whatever that one may be.